Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling. 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. 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 Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What's up, what's up? And welcome in live from Chicago. It's Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app with open phone line for you at 312-332-ESPN-332-3776 is the telephone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, Hood. You follow me on Snapchat, I will follow you back, guarantee. Just try, Hood, and I'll follow you right back. Also on Instagram, IGJHood, as we broadcast live from the First Midwest Bank Studios. Strong, trusted, First Midwest Bank. Ah. Coming up, we will hear from Malika Andrews, who covers the NBA for ESPN.com. We'll hear from her coming up at 810 as the Bucks move on. The NBA playoffs, they defeat the Boston Celtics. We'll get to that matchup. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs coming up in our next half hour. And Malika, as I mentioned, 810. Also, we have Tales from the Hood, stories of sports, entertainment, everything else in between. This episode of Tales from the Hood will be a guest, not stories. Colt Cabana, Chicago's own. He is a pro wrestler, broadcasting podcast, the art of podcast, the art of wrestling podcast from his studio apartment in Chicago. So we will hear from Colt Cabana. He's got a big show taking place at the Odium in Villa Park on Sunday, on Mother's Day. So we'll hear from Colt coming up at 835. Also, Josh Nelson from the Sox Machine. We will talk about the White Sox and how things have been progressing with the White Sox with Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. The Chicago White Sox. How about that? I know that. Uh, we ain't going to talk about the Sox. What about the, the Chicago? The Sox conversation will be at 915. Right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. And, of course, if it's Thursday. Throwback. Throwback Thursday. Coming up at 935. Oh, we got a good one. We always have a good one. Why do I say we always got a good one? We always have a good one for Throwback Thursday. This one is going to be a good one as well. 935. We'll tell you about Throwback Thursday. Always fun. Throwback. It's overproduced, but it's fun. Throwback Thursday. 935 right here on ESPN 1000. Hope that you enjoyed your Thursday. Hope that you enjoy your Thursday nights. We're with you until 10 o'clock. This is Den Levitard and Stu Gatz right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So I'm looking at outside of our studios, right? I'm looking out and I see the Chicago theater and I see people walking by right outside of our First Midwest Bank studios. It's the way banking is supposed to be. And what I don't see 
here on this May 9th is panic. How come there's not panic in the streets? I don't understand this. I'm calling for panic. You know, that same panic that you called for in April when you saw the Cubs sliding in the month of April when the season first started. The Cubs are 22-13 and 13 after their victory against the Miami Marlins. They're a game ahead of Milwaukee that comes in this weekend, which is always a lot of fun. And two games ahead of St. Louis, four games against Pittsburgh. I don't see any panic in the streets. Everyone's just walking along on a 68-degree night, going to their destination, stopping by the studio, listening, and then going by and just doing what they're going to do. But I don't see the panic. Here's the thing that you and I have talked about over the years. You can be the sports fan that you want to be. I will tell you the sports fan that I am because I will tell you that a week, a game, a series, a couple of months does not tell you the full story of what is going on in a baseball season. And I remember when the season opened, when the Cubs were on the road and they were taking on the Atlanta Braves and they were taking on the Texas Rangers, and they were taking on Milwaukee early in the season, late March into April. And many thought, well, this is going to be the end because of how they started. You just cannot get caught up in this hot take society. You just can't do it. I know that I can't. The reason why is because I've lived through many baseball seasons and the other reason why is because as I look at this 22-13 and 13 ball club, I will tell you what I told you in the past. And that is when you see a ball club that has veteran-laden talent, when you see a ball club that has as many hitters as they have and good pitching that they have, more times than not the Cubs are going to come out on top. It may not be the finish that you want because the finish that you want if you're a Cubs fan is to see – this baseball team won another World Series. As I mentioned to you before, the windows open for this club through 2021 as long as Theo Epstein's here. Theo Epstein is a guy that can uh, raise the bar, clearly raise the bar for the Cubs, and also can increase the chances of this team being a contender when he's in the room. And so the window continues to be open for the Cubs, but there is no panic because there's, there was no need for panic early. There's no need for panic now. You look at that Cubs schedule and who they had to face. Yeah, out of the box with better temperatures, you kind of thought that the Cubs would have a better start. But it doesn't mean that this season was over based on how they played in late March, how they played in April. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. We're just making up straw men just to be able to find something to get pissed off about. I think that this series against Milwaukee is is a gut check. It is a measuring stick series, not a, an important series. It's not the ultimate because it is May after all. But I always think that on the schedule that there's always a measuring stick type of matchup. And I think that taking on the Brewers, in which I think the Cubs are going to win this series, you can hear several of the games for the series on Saturday and Sunday right here on ESPN 1000. I think that they're going to be just fine. Because when I look at the, the rest of the way here, taking on Milwaukee on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then from there going on the road to take on a Cincinnati ball club that's really underachieving, not very good at Cincinnati, taking on the Nationals for three, and then coming home on May 20th against Philadelphia, then Cincinnati, then taking on Houston around the uh, Memorial Day weekend, 
Um, yeah, I, I think that if the Cubs continue to play the way they need to play, they're going to be exactly what I think they're going to be, a playoff team that will be in the mix. It's really not that hard. But I understand that that prisoner of the moment thing is prevalent in 2019. How are ball clubs playing for the week tells you exactly how you feel for the rest of the year, and that's not necessarily the case. I take a look at the pitching staff for the Cubs, especially in this series against Miami. It's very interesting, this uh, four-game series. So it starts off with Hamels, right? Six innings pitched, three earned runs, seven strikeouts, no decision. Then from there, it goes with Lester as one of the starters. Six innings pitched, two runs, six strikeouts, no decision. Against Hendricks, eight innings pitched, one run, seven strikeouts, no decision. <laughs> and here's you, Darvish, on the mound, and it's it just is not perfect. It's just not crisp just as of yet for you, Darvish. Now, if you have a concern, you're wondering, okay, will you ever see anything close to the U Darvish when he was in his prime, when he was really getting after it in the American League? And I'm here to tell you that that's not, you may not see that guy. Uh, I told you at the time on this program that when U Darvish came to the Cubs, I said, and Felix was here, I said, you know, I don't like, I don't like that move. I just, I said at the time, I said, you know what? Based on how he pitched with the Dodgers, I said, I don't think that you'll get anything close to the U Darvish that you thought you had previous years. Just didn't, just didn't look right. And so U Darvish is out there for four innings and one hit and one earned run and six walks today, seven strikeouts, but the Cubs were able to survive against a bad Marlins team. But again, there's a lot here with U Darvish that you're watching and you're looking to see something better. I don't know what you're looking for. I just know that it's up to the Hendrixes and it's the Lesters and the Hamels to be able to carry this load for the Cubs until they find someone else, as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What about you, Darvish, as far as how he his approach is? Because against this Marlins lineup, it's like, I mean, that's, that's when you can really, I think, experiment on some things, right? I mean, the Marlins are a major league ball club. Don't get me wrong. But they're not very good for a reason. And still, Darvish has had his issues. Darvish was asked if he thinks too much. Yeah, uh, until uh, until last outing, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking too much. I have to throw a strike, or, but today I was focusing more attacking hitter, but just command was off. That's it. What do you What do you think you can do to correct that? Is there anything? Just keep practicing in the bullpen. I want to be more focused in bullpen. And yeah, how difficult of a change was that for you to, to not think as much when you're I'm thinker in you know my almost 15 years career, but absolutely, absolutely, uh, it's too much. But you know, I want to, I want to be more better. So it's my challenge, but I think that's good for me. Do you feel like better results come simply by just getting fastball command where you need it to be? Yeah. For sure. Did you feel like you had that at the very beginning of the game? Because the first inning or so was really sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm thinking the same thing. First inning was good, but the inning was off. So I had to look at the video and then what I'm doing. I want to see what I was doing. Do you get frustrated by this or do you see just keep working and it'll get better? Yeah, last outing was more frustrated than today. Uh, today, you know, I'm throwing more. I was, you know, I, I get a more strikeout, and then, and then we won, and then just 
gave up a one run. And my mind was good too. So. What can you say about the job uh, Mike Montgomery did this afternoon for us to the game? He did better than me. That's it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great job. I will give you Darvish credit that he did stand up to the media. He wasn't ducking and hiding in the shadows like he did last year trying to get away from the treacherous Chicago media coming after him for every little thing. At least that didn't happen with uh, with you, Darvish, here. He addressed it, talked about how he thinks too much. He was frustrated out there. I watched the game, six, uh, six walks through four. Could have been a lot better. There's no question. But, again, let's get away from the panic when it comes to the Cubs. Let's just watch the ebb and flow of the season, how it goes. Let's move on to something else. It's all about the White Sox. The, uh, the Chicago White Sox, they took on Cleveland. As soon as I saw the rain come down in Cleveland, I said, you know what? Based on the weather that I experienced in, uh, in Wisconsin last night, trying to drive home through that, and then it coming to the city, I said, yeah, it, it's going to come. It's going out east, and it's going to stay there for a while. So Cleveland, they end up winning the short the, the, the shortened game against the White Sox by the score of 5 to nothing. Can I tell you something? I am surprised at the 16-20 and 20 record for the White Sox. Now, I know what this season is. And I see that Minnesota has gotten off to a terrific start in the, the American League Central. I think it surprised a lot of people. I think people looked at Cleveland as the favorite in the American League Central. And, and But the favorite, but yet a team that was susceptible to being able to be knocked out early. Because there is no real strong team at this point in the American League Central. We'll see how it progresses. But right now, Minnesota happens to be the hot team. And they're playing at a very high clip. I've seen them at least uh, four or five times uh, already this season. And I'm impressed. It, it, they do a, a nice job moving the runners, and I think that they, you know, they're getting timely hitting. But, again, let's see if this is sustainable throughout the regular season. So I see the White Sox at 16-20, and 20, and the one thing that has emerged from this White Sox season is watching what Tim Anderson has done. For the last couple of years, I've said, okay, so what is Tim Anderson is Tim Anderson just going to be an eighth, seventh, ninth place hitter with just an above average glove? Because that's not good enough, even in a rebuild. You got to find something here. And even though you see Tim Anderson, especially as of late, hitting seventh in the lineup, it is a head scratcher to me because has he not earned the, the spot to be able to hit at least sixth in the lineup? At least sixth, maybe fifth, because his his slash line numbers are not bad. Coming into the series against Cleveland, slash line was 331, 362, and 516. He's giving you some power, too. So, you know, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and so I think uh, one of the things that we, we see with this White Sox team, and if you're a Sox fan, you know where I'm going with this, is that you're waiting to find out what when's your Lester coming. When's that big free agent that's going to be able to kind of jumpstart this thing for the White Sox? And day-to-day, -day, you're just trying to find out the improvement of Moncada, the improvement of Abreu, the improvement of, of you know, veteran players and some of these up-and-coming players like a Sanchez to try to figure out, you know, once the team is good, if the team becomes good, who's going to be those mainstays? Who's going to be the, the kind of cornerstone players for the franchise that says, okay, now we're ready to go and we know who we have? I don't know how long that process is either, by the way, when you think about it. If you're a Sox fan, you're watching the team. And if, if, even if you're not watching, what you're doing is, is that you're looking at the box scores, trying to figure out, okay, so when the team is good, 
is Garcia and Abreu, is Alonzo, is you know, is Tim Anderson, Yomer Sanchez, who is going to be the cornerstones for the franchise. And that's, to me, the, one of the biggest mysteries. I know that, going back to the Cubs for a second, when they were managed by Dale Swaim and when they were going through the 95, 100 lost ball clubs and you saw players out there, you knew that a lot of those players you saw on that roster would not be the roster that you'd see if you're trying to win a championship. And so the same thing with the White Sox. You can look at some of these young players on this Sox team and you say, you know, there's some good players here, but you're just trying to figure out what the core is. Uh, and I will stand by what I said before the season. I'll stand by it. And that is something very simple. You have to be able to make some changes. One of the changes that you have to make is you have to be able to find the right manager. And if you think that's a shot of Rick Renneria, it is. Because once you're trying to get better, right, once you want to be able to be in a position to win, you have to upgrade the manager, just like you got to upgrade the talent. That's just the business. If Rick is uh, an A to B manager, that's exactly what he is, an A to B manager. And, and so you've got to be able to upgrade that like you upgrade your talent if you're the White Sox. But if you're just happy as is and happy about what's going on with the ball club and underachieving, that's fine. But it's got to get better, all of it, all at once. Something else, too, I saw this from Jesse Rogers, and it's been all over the place, not only just in the, uh, not just only in sports, but it's also been in the news regarding the gesture associated with racism uh, at Wrigley Field. And everywhere you look, there is a, an interesting angle on the story. So for those that don't know, the Chicago Cubs said that they have identified and now banned the fan who was observed on camera making what appeared to be a hand gesture associated with racism during Tuesday night's broadcast of a home game against the Miami Marlins at Wrigley Field. Wearing a gray Cubs sweatshirt and blue pants, the fan made an upside-down OK sign near Doug Glanville's head while he was giving a report for NBC Sports Chicago from the stands. The gesture is associated with the juvenile circle game where someone tries to trick a friend or a sibling into looking at it, then punches them in the shoulder. But the symbol has also become a white supremacy sign. Glanville, who is black, played nine seasons in the majors, including three with the Cubs. He's also an analyst with ESPN. It's all from Jesse Rogers in his writing from ESPN.com. In a statement Wednesday, the Cubs said that they reviewed the footage and decided that the fans' actions violated the team's guest code of conduct. The team said it is not disclosing the name of the fan. And Julian Green, the Cubs spokesman, Julian said that it doesn't matter either way. This was just bad judgment on the part of the individual, whether sophomore behavior or some other stunt, uh, to use that in connection with a respected journalist who happens to be African-American and doing his job to deliver enjoyment to our fans is ignorant. It has no place at Wrigley Field. Yeah, so that's the statement from uh, Julian Green in Jesse Rogers' piece on ESPN.com. The question is looming in my mind over the last 48 hours about this story. I'll tell you what that question is in just a moment. I know that in our society today, here in 2019, if I told you that this morning the sky 
was blue. Some of you would tell me it had shades of purple. And you try to argue to me that every day the sky is purple when you and I both know, if you have common sense, that even when it's cloudy, you can see that there's traces of blue. But you tell me it's purple just because you have to be different, just because you're argumentative or you're ignorant. You know, the the thing that resonates with me with this story is, is why be on the side of something derisive? If that hand gesture had been embraced by white supremacy, why would you defend that? Let me tell you a story. For those of you that have seen me on NBC Sports Chicago doing UIC Flames games, and the games, those are special games. It's only, they're only on maybe twice a year because a lot of the games that Black and I do, they're on ESPN+. But sometimes I'm work, working with Jordan Burnfield or with Cap, and I'm doing NBC Sports Chicago games, same channel that the Cubs and Sox are on during UIC Flame season when there's a marquee game that they've circled. And sometimes I'm doing play-by-play, sometimes I'm doing color. But when I'm doing color, you know, I'll get the play-by-play guy like Jordan or someone will introduce me. And I, if you have ever watched me on television, has, has done that okay sign. And the reason why I've done that sign is because, yeah, when I was growing up, when you do the okay sign, that meant actually okay. I did it because I knew that my wife was watching. And I, if we didn't connect or we didn't text each other because I'm doing pregame, she'd watch me on television. If I did okay, then I'm good. Then she knows that I'm good. It's almost a sign to her like everything's good. If I didn't do that sign, she'd wonder what's wrong with me. Like, what's going on? You know, was there drama, whatever. But I've done that as of this season with Cap. That okay sign, like, you know, just like Jordan Burnfield would introduce me. Along with Jonathan Hood, I'm Jordan Burnfield. And I would do that because the reason why I would do that signal is because I never know what to do with my hands. (laughs) Because as a television person, as as a radio person, right? And now I'm on television. I don't like instead of doing like the Steve Stone classic nod and smile, I would do the okay signal. But you won't catch me doing that anymore on television. And the reason why is because it's similar to the middle finger, right? If I came up to you in your face and gave you the middle finger, I think universally we know what the middle finger is. But if I told you, no, 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 I'm just saying that you're my best friend and you're number one. Well, that's what it means to me, so don't be offended. No, the middle finger means the middle finger. It means F you. That's what it means. It's a, it is a, something that's been going on for generations in which you know what the middle finger means. And so if you know what it means to someone and it's a de- derogatory and it's an offensive thing, then why be behind it? Why support it? I take a look at this on social media, a lot of this on social media. And people's like, well, now now what are you going to take away? You can't do that. I mean, if someone says that that okay sign is offensive and and it supports white supremacy, why would you be behind that unless you want to be behind that yourself? I think for some of you that want to support that white supremacy, if you, that's what you're into, then I think that you're revealing yourself. 
But the idea that this is something that white supremacists have been able to embrace as, hey, you know what? If you see me in the street and I do that signal, you know what this means. That means that you're part of this brotherhood or this sisterhood of white supremacy. So why would you defend that? Unless you're good with that, unless you're also supporting this cause. And if you are, I think that's actually better. I've said for many years, I'd rather for you to show me who you are face to face than for me to find out. You don't ever want me to find out who you really are. That means anybody in this building. That means anybody in my life. If I find out who you really are, you don't, you're not going to like the other side of that. If I really find out who you are, I'd rather for you to tell me up front how you feel than to be able to slide a DM or send a tweet or that kind of thing. Come up, come up to me and tell me how you feel, and then we'll see how the repercussions go from that standpoint. But the bottom line is, is that if you see that signal and the Cubs saw it and the nation saw it, and they said, you know what, that's a symbol of white supremacy, uh, then I think it's pretty clear. Either you want to be a part of that and you want to be able to support that, or you want to run away from it and say, no, I'm all for inclusion. I think everybody should be together. But if you are one of those people that's on social media and you're saying that it's okay for him to be able to put that out there, knowing that people know what that signal is, it might say a lot for you. You're listening to my mans and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right? Jay Hood. <laughs> on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Under the Hood with you. Follow me on Snapchat, Hood, also on Instagram, IGJHood. An hour from now, we'll hear from Colt Cabana, pro wrestler, Chicago's own. Throughout the first pitch of one of the most recent White Sox games, a guaranteed rate with his with his national heavyweight championship around his waist. That's hard to do, right? Like a 15 pounds of gold around your waist and trying to throw an accurate pitch. We'll hear from Colt Cabana. Coming up at 8.30, talking about the show at the Villa Park at the Odium uh, coming up on Sunday. Malika Andrews on the NBA coming up at 8.15. We'll get her thoughts about the Bucks. She's been firmly entrenched with the Bucks and following that team a lot this season. So we'll get her thoughts about the entire NBA playoffs. With me, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. So I was there at the Five Serve Forum in Milwaukee last night to see the Bucks and the Celtics. And... Uh, I will tell you a number of things that stood out to me as the Bucks move on and they defeat the Celtics. First of all, I'll be the first to tell you that um, I said on many platforms I felt that the Celtics would win the Eastern Conference and take on Golden State. But you know what I did not expect? I did not expect for the Celtics to just just be a team that is just seemed uninterested 
See, it's one thing to watch on television, but when you're live, like I was yesterday uh, at the arena watching this happen as it goes, just like it just seemed so uneven yesterday with the Celtics. It just, it, you, I understand that you're down three to one. It doesn't mean that you just have to shut her down just because you're down three to one. It just, it just seemed after the first quarter, like, nope, this is not our quarter. Uh, we're down 22 19 in the first quarter. Nope, this is it. And so to illustrate that even further, and I want, to, I want to give the Bucks their due as well here in this segment because I, I find this team fascinating. Watching the second half of that game, watching the second half, you know Kyrie Irving had two points in the second half. I mean, when you still have a chance to be able to come back in the game, the, Kyrie Irving was 1 for 5, 0 for 3 from three-point range with two points in the second half of that game, an elimination game. He put up five shots. He's out there for 13 minutes. Jason Tatum had 13 points for the Celtics. And Jalen Brown had eight points. Just taking a look at that box score. I just uh, was completely wrong about the Celtics because I thought they'd have more heart. I also believed in Kyrie Irving a lot more than I probably should. Look at the career of Kyrie Irving. Highly touted. Goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Could not really turn the tide of that franchise. LeBron says, I'm coming home from Miami to Cleveland. They win a championship. Kyrie leaves. He didn't, he wasn't in for yet. He left. He said, I want to, I want to get out of here. I want to have my own place. He goes to Boston and really doesn't move the meter in Boston. That's the only thing. So I thought that he would be good enough to be able to, again, in that Eastern Conference, to be able to put on some of the best performances, to be able to get to the next level and get that, that uh, Boston Celtics team to the finals, and it wasn't the case. That see, you can't blame oh the Gordon Hayward injury. That's not what it was. What it was is is that I, I saw some underachievement with this Celtics team that I did not expect. Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier. These are all nice B plus players. Some B minus to C plus players. But the best player on the team is Kyrie Irving. He doesn't have that, for whatever reason, did not have the energy, the jolt that Harden brings, that Steph Curry brings, that Klay Thompson brings, that Kevin Durant brings, that LeBron, when he's healthy, brings. Didn't see that. Just shut her down. He was just ready to go. And I thought that that was just very odd. Kyrie Irving, you know, after all of that conversation of what he could do for the Celtics and then how disappointing is this no you know you guys were picked to go to the finals or you want to do great things with this team and this organization and how disappointed are you I mean you know truth be told it's, it's no time to be disappointed I, I think that um you know you take your lessons you you take pooping that they handed us um and you move on yeah I mean yeah I mean you actually should be disappointed unless you just have Bigger fish to fry someplace else. And he's looking to do something else. And that is to try to go to another franchise. But what kind of difference maker can Kyrie Irving bring? Now, the other thing is, is Brad Stevens. Let's get to Brad. Brad was just going nuts on the sidelines. There's a couple calls that didn't go his way. He's usually very stoic on the sidelines. And he was just going nuts, especially at the end of the second quarter, watching him. Like, wow, he's really getting after it. But it didn't move the Celtics one way or the other. He blames himself about the loss last night. I mean, that's probably the part that, 
eats at me the most, right? 12 years, been a head coach for 12 years, and, you know, we, we let go of the rope more and cracked more than, than we probably should have. And uh, um, we need to be better than that. And But the team that doesn't crack usually wins, and these guys just kept, again, pounding at us. Um, so um, I'll be the first to say that this is, you know, as far as any other year that I've been a head coach, it's certainly been the most trying. I think I've done a, I did a, I did a bad job. Like at the end of the day, like as a coach, if your team doesn't find its best fit together, that's on you. And so, um, I'll do a lot of deep dives into how I can be better. Mm. He put it on his shoulders, and you appreciate that, right? If you are a fan, you're like, you know what? It wasn't my team? It was on me. It's been on Brad a lot. But can I tell you something? Just between you and I. I know that on at, on the surface, right, you'd say Brad Stevens is a good coach. The one-loss record speaks for itself. I remember when he was hired coming out of Butler. I thought, oh, of course. Danny Ainge outside the box getting the successful college coach to be in the NBA, and it's going to work out well because he's a bas- basketball brainiac. Brad Stevens' playoff record is 27-29. and 29. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, as a Bulls fan, you're like, yeah, I'll take Brad Stevens today. Great. But here's the thing that happened to Brad Stevens. What happened to Brad Stevens is Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I mentioned not only here but on my show weekends with Dickerson and Hood on Saturdays and Sundays, I told Jeff this. I said, here's the thing that is going to mess up Brad Stevens. If not this year, then in the future, if Kyrie sticks around. This year was the first time that Brad Stevens went through adversity. Everything was smooth sailing. Now you under, underachievement here, losing a game there, losing a series there. But when Kyrie Irving several times this season questioned Brad Stevens on calls, I remember like it was yesterday, Boston was taking on Charlotte. And Kyrie Irving went to the press after the game and said, yeah, I, I told the coaching staff that we should double Kemba Walker late in games because I saw the film and I've been out there, but they just wanted one-on-one coverage, so we got beat, and that's why we got beat tonight. He said it several times, questioning the, the play calls of the stoic Brad Stevens. I said, you know what? This is some BS that Brad Stevens never had to deal with. How is he going to handle it? This is how it was handled. They got bounced. That's how it was handled. Now you look at the rest of that roster and what's left in that roster, and uh, – they will be in need of a difference maker on that Celtics team. Because Kyrie is as gone as, as, not, as anything else. He's definitely gone uh, when it comes to being with the Celtics. He'll be going someplace else. The rest of the Celtics on, on, this, uh, on this particular team that's under contract for 1920, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and two other players that are making 3.1 or less. How's that for a core? How many, how many playoff games are you going to win with that? Now, of course, you've got to add to that roster, but what max player will you be able to find? The Celtics have all of these picks, and they've got all of these assets, but there's a ceiling on their success, too. It's the Milwaukee Bucks. They're just that good. As you're listening to ESPN 1000, the ESPN app, Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, let me give the Bucks their due. Their defense was so swarming. Not just last night. To see it in person was, was tremendous. But I think that just watching what the Bucks do and the attention to detail that they have defensively for Budenholzer's team is very, very good. This is a much better defensive team than he had it with Atlanta. 
I don't think there's any question. It's like anything else, though, in the NBA. You need to have the one guy that can make a difference, the one player. And that difference maker is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who would get my MVP vote if I had one. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the straw that stirs the drink for this team. No question. He had 20 points last night, eight assists. He had eight rebounds. He is a special player. But it's, it's more than just having a special player. It's a system that you have to be able to implement. The Bucks system is similar to the Rockets system in that they shoot a ton of threes. They shot 47 threes last night. 47. They shot 31% from three-point range. The difference between the Boonhoser Bucks and the Kid and Prunty Bucks is that this team shoots a ton of threes. And they get after it defensively. Nikola Miritich fits in perfectly. And I heard fans in the stands, by the way, saying Tricola. Stolen, the trademark stolen from Stacey King and the, and the Bulls. I heard three cola out there. I'm like, really? Well, that, I mean, 90 miles, that's how far that traveled. Pretty good. Um, <laughs> so then Chris Middleton had his 19 points. Very good. But the other thing, too, is that we always focus on the stars. Rightfully so. It's a star-driven league. But with this Bucks team, what I like is the others, kind of like Golden State. You look at the others. I, I, you know, you, you look at Connaughton, a terrific player that can be able to give you threes when you need it, give you the key rebounds. Ilyasova is a guy that was terrific. George Hill is almost like some unsung hero. They love George Hill up there. And George Hill's been around the league forever. But just the idea that the second biggest pop in the, in the house at the forum last night, first one obviously is Anadokounmpo, the second one is George Hill. It was really interesting. Because people appreciate the hustle. They love the hustle. And Hill comes through, knocks down some threes. He has 16 points. And they welcome Malcolm Brogdon back into the fold with his 10 points. Even Snelly Cat, even Tony Snell gets some run. I just think that from top to bottom, you like the role players and you like guys that can be able to get after it defensively. You know, this league is about threes, but you've got to be able to guard, and they definitely did a good job of that. Uh, I'll give you my thoughts about Golden State in Houston as well. That was uh, right here on uh, ESPN 1000. The uh, <laughs> I, I I was uh, watching that game last night when I got in, and I watched the uh, Houston Rockets. Let me tell you something. What a disappointment. With everything that they had to go through, what a disappointment. An opportunity for you to steal one at Oracle there in a big spot last night. And they dropped the ball. From your hood to J-Hood. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contacted, I attract clientele. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Apple here from Malika Andrews on the NBA coming up at 8.15. Colt Cabana with me at 8.30. Also, we will hear from Josh Nelson with some Sox talk about the White Sox. They got uh, flushed by the Indians. Short game because of rain. We'll get to Josh coming up at 9.15. Yeah, so the uh, Golden State Warriors are up three games to two. As they defeat Houston by the score of 104 to 99, and Kevin Durant suffered a mild strain to his right calf 
and will miss the rest of the Warriors Western Conference semifinal series with the Houston Rockets. Um, the Warriors are 29-4 when Steph plays and KD does not. Curry with Kevin Durant, 25 points, 17.5 shots per 75 possessions. And then from there, Curry without KD, 30 points on 24 shots per 75 possessions. The point is of those numbers is that if you did not know this before, let me tell you. Golden State can win a championship without Kevin Durant or without Boogie Cousins. You know why? Because I've seen it before. That's why. We seem to forget how talented the Warriors were without the extra stake of Kevin Durant on the plate. They were already talented. You saw them win a championship without Boogie and without Kevin Durant, and they were just one Kyrie Irving shot away from winning two without Kevin Durant or without Boogie Cousins. When I watched the game in the second half, what's, uh, what stood out to me is is that when Durant went out of the game, all of a sudden now here's Steph Curry with the ability to go to the basket. He had a hard time getting to the basket. He's going through some struggles. Let's not BS you. Of course he's going through some struggles, especially going to the rim. But we saw him turn on an extra level in the game yesterday um, in, the, in the key moments in order for the Warriors to get out, come out on top. Houston had Harden chasing Curry, and he just got worn out. It was amazing. Watching Harden not be a factor was just was amazing. Because now, if Harden's not a factor, is it Chris Paul? No, it's not Chris Paul because he was not available in big moments. And then you saw Clint Capella miss so many easy buckets at the rim. It's just like, so how is this team going to be able to win? You realize, you know this, but I'm just going to say it anyway. The Rockets were the best chance to be able to turn the page on the Warriors' run here, and now that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. What The second half of the game with the Rockets and Warriors, let me point this out. Chris Paul in the second half had five points, one of seven shooting. You, you, you consider that clutch? You consider that someone that was deserving of a new contract coming into this season? The, the lucrative contract that he had? Clint Capella had four points in the second half of that game. I can give you the entire numbers, but I think that's always crucial, especially when you're down to try to look at the quarter by quarter and the first half and second half and see the dichotomy between the two. And you're looking to try to find scoring. And you know who's the dog? The guy that really has a ruthless aggression to his game? Eric Gordon. That's the guy. Eric Gordon has some teeth to his game. Not saying that James Harden does not. I'm just because Harden had 17 points in the second half. Point is, is that Eric Gordon is a guy that's going to give you three point shots. There's a guy there that's going to give you something quality. James Harden took one shot in the last seven minutes of the game. You know why? Because his tongue was hanging down by the end of his beard trying to catch Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't catch those guys. Because now, without Durant in the way, and I say that just based on an offensive standpoint. Without with Durant out of the way, now Clay and Steph can be able to get to the rim. Now there's a almost a new refined strength of Draymond Green out there. Draymond Green also got fired up there in the second half. So Houston it was the best opportunity for the Warriors run to the end, and now it's not going to happen because the Rockets beat themselves. 
That's what it is. They just did not have enough. They were already down, but didn't could have been able to steal that game yesterday, and it just didn't happen. This is why the Warriors are so good, because they come at you in waves. Without Durant, without Boogie Cousins, this team is still good. Don't forget about that. If not, if you don't believe in those other five, you know who had a really good game? Looney had a really t- a terrific game. It may not show up in the box score. He's all over the floor yesterday. You know, you have Livingston, there's McKinney, there's Jarebko that was in the mix. So you figure, okay, here, here's what's probably going to happen. The Warriors might drop the next game, and it might go to a game seven, but doesn't mean that the Rockets are going to win that game seven. I know that Durant's out, and that's going to be a factor, but it's always hard for the Rockets because all they do is shoot threes or layups. There's no in-between game with them. So either way, it's, it's, it's going to be game seven, I think, and I think that the Warriors still win it because they just have enough. They just, they've been in the big moments, and they know how to win. That's exactly what we saw last night. Oh, my gosh. There is a sucker born every minute. And this sucker's name is Mel. We'll tell you who Mel is next. Jonathan Hood. I'm so hood. On ESPN 1000.